0: section thirteen of a commentary on the epistle to the romans by john calvin translated by francis sibson this librivox recording is in the public domain romans nine verses one to thirteen i say the truth in christ i lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the holy ghost that i have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for i could that myself were accursed from christ for my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh who are israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of god and the promises whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh christ came who is over all god blessed for ever amen in the present chapter he begins to meet the offences and causes of stumbling which might divert men's minds from christ That he was not only rejected and despised but in a great measure hated and abhorred by the jews for whom he was appointed and ordained by the covenant of the law this reasoning seems to establish one of the two following conclusions either that the truth of the divine promise is not preserved or jesus preached by paul is not the lord's christ who had been promised in an especial manner to the jews the apostle gives a very excellent solution to both these difficulties in his subsequent observations although he treats the subject in a manner as to refrain from every kind of harshness towards the jews that he might not exasperate their minds yet he does not yield to them one tittle which might be injurious to the cause of the gospel for he assigns them in such a manner their own peculiar honours as to deprive christ in no degree of any glory with which he is adorned notwithstanding his transition to the statement of this new subject appears so abrupt as to have no connection with the context yet he commences as if he had made allusion to it in a former part of the epistle the reason of this arises from his attention being directed to the state of the jews after he had completed the discussion relative to the doctrine he was teaching when he feels astonished on considering their unbelief as if struck with some unusual prodigy and suddenly breaks forth in calling god to witness the truth of what he said as if he was treating on a subject already investigated in a former part of the epistle it was impossible for any careful examiner of the doctrine which paul proved to be taught in the law and the prophets not to be impressed with this reflection why do the jews reject with so much obstinacy truths so clearly revealed in their own writings it was also a well-known fact that the jews so cordially hated all the observations made by paul in his discourse concerning the law of moses and the grace of christ as to afford no assistance to the faith of the gentiles by their agreement with his views THE REMOVAL, THEREFORE, OF THIS STUMBLING-BLOCK WAS NECESSARY, LEST THE COURSE AND PROGRESS OF THE GOSPEL SHOULD BE SUDDENLY STOPPED. I SAY THE TRUTH IN CHRIST since it was the presumptive opinion of a considerable number that paul was the sworn enemy of the jewish nation and many of his private friends and relations suspected his want of allegiance to moses and considered him as teaching his followers to revolt from the standard of their great lawgiver he prepares the minds of his readers by an introductory preface to entertain a favourable opinion of him before he enters into any dispute concerning the subject he proposed to consider By this means he clears himself from all false suspicions which were formed against him, as entertaining dispositions hostile to the Jews. He swears also to the truth of his statement, because the subject was of so great importance as to require an oath, and he was fully convinced that his mere affirmation alone would not secure the belief of his countrymen, who had already conceived so strong a prejudice against his person and doctrine as opposed to the Mosaic dispensation this and similar examples as i have stated in the first chapter may teach us the lawfulness of such oaths as confirm any truth whose knowledge is productive of great benefit and the belief of which could not otherwise be established the sentence in christ means according to christ by adding i lie not he intends to remove all suspicion of his using artifice falsehood or disguise by using the words, my conscience also bearing me witness, he summons his conscience before the judgment seat of God, because he calls the Spirit as a witness to the sense he wished to impress upon his readers. For he introduced the name of the Spirit, with a view to confirm, in a stronger manner by the exalted character of the witness to which he appealed, that in pleading the cause of Christ, he was free and clear from every depraved feeling of envy and contention, and conducted by the guidance and government of the Spirit of God. Men, blinded by fleshly inclination, although they may not deceive, frequently obscure the light of the truth with the approbation of their will, and the full light of knowledge. We then properly swear by the name of God when we appeal to Him as a witness for the confirmation of any doubtful subject, and at the same time make ourselves amenable to the justice of His sentence and severity of His punishment if we are guilty of falsehood. That I have great heaviness. Paul's abrupt transition and his avoiding immediate discussion of the subject to be considered were intentional, for it was not yet convenient for him openly and clearly to state the destruction impending over the Jewish nation. He thus intimates also the greater vehemence of his grief, for very strong feelings are generally unable to express themselves in words. He will hereafter state the cause of his grief when he has confirmed the Jews more fully in the belief of his sincerity the very great and agonizing sorrow felt by paul on account of the destruction of the jews which he knew would take place according to the will and dispensation of the most high teaches us that the obedience which we yield to the providence of the ruler of all things does not prevent us from lamenting and bewailing the ruin of men of abandoned characters to which we know them to be devoted by the just judgment of the lord the same mind may experience two kinds of feelings and when directed to the universal governor may willingly bear with the ruin of those whom the deity hath determined to destroy but on turning its thoughts and reflections to men suffering under evils may condole with them in their misery such as require apathy and want of natural affection in men of piety lest they should oppose the divine decree labor under a very great mistake for i could wish paul could not express the ardor of his affection in any stronger manner than by the declaration here given for that love which refuses not to undergo death for the salvation of a friend deserves to be considered perfect the additional sentence proves the apostle to be speaking not of temporal but eternal death and when he says from christ an allusion is made to the greek word anathema which means a separation from anything does not separation from christ mean being excluded from all hopes of salvation paul therefore afforded all proof of his love when he did not doubt to call down upon his own head that curse which he saw to be suspended over the jews with a view to deliver them from its dreadful ruin nor is the objection of any weight that paul knew his salvation to be founded on god's election and on this account it could not fail or be destroyed for these more ardent emotions of the mind are hurried off with so much violence as only to regard and consider the object on which they are fixed paul therefore did not join the election of god with his vow but forgetting the former his whole mind was earnestly engaged upon the salvation of the jews the doubt entertained by many whether such a desire was lawful or not may thus be solved that love keeps within due and constant bounds which never goes beyond the altar if therefore we love in god and not out of the fountain of all love the ardour of our most intense affection will never be excessive this was paul's case for while he perceived his own nation to be endowed with so many blessings from god he embraced the divine gifts among the jews and that people on account of these gifts He felt also most deeply distressed that such endowments should perish, and from this cause his mind, troubled and confounded, burst forth with this strongest and most awful of all vows. I do not adopt the opinion of those commentators who regard Paul to have uttered this wish from a regard to God alone and not men, nor do I agree with others who say he had given himself up merely to the love of men, without any consideration of God. But I unite the love of mankind with a zeal for the glory of God i have not yet given an explanation of what chiefly requires our attention that the jews are in this passage regarded as adorned with their own badges and tokens of honor which distinguish them from the rest of the human race for god by his covenant had so exalted them to the highest pitch of glory that when they fell the divine faith and truth would decay in the world for the covenant would thus be made void and of none effect which was said to be ordained to remain firm for ever and as long as the sun and moon continue psalm seventy two five seven and seventeen so that its abolition would be attended with greater absurdity than the mingling of the whole world in one scene of woeful and horrible confusion a simple and bare comparison of mankind is not therefore here presented to our view or, though it would be better for one member to perish rather than the whole body yet paul places so high a value upon the jews because he clothes them with the character and as it is usually denominated the quality of the elect people of god this appears more clearly from the context as we shall afterwards see in its proper place although the words my kinsmen according to the flesh give no new meaning to the passage yet they contribute very much to amplify and enlarge its force for in the first place to prevent any reader from thinking he had willingly or of his own accord embraced an opportunity for quarrelling with the jews he intimates that he had not so far divested himself of the feeling of humanity as not to be deeply affected with the awful and horrible destruction of his own flesh in the second place since the gospel preached by paul must necessarily come out of zion he not without reason by repeating the same view in a variety of expressions presses upon the attention of his readers the commendation given to the race of jews from whom he was descended the restraining clause according to the flesh is not in my opinion added as in some other passages for the purpose of diminishing the power of the jews but rather of giving them increased confidence for though the jews had renounced paul yet he owns himself to have been descended from that nation whose election continued yet vigorous and flourishing in the root, though the branches had withered and decayed. Budeus, in his remarks upon the word anathema, disagrees with Chrysostom, who confounds anathema, signifying the accursed thing or person separated from God, with anathema, meaning an offering or gift presented to the church or temple, and hung up in some part of the building, who are Israelites, Paul here evidently assigns a reason why he was so much distressed by the destruction of his nation as to be prepared to redeem it by his own ruin, namely their descent from Israel. The relative pronoun is here taken in the sense of a causal adverb. Moses, Exodus 32:32, was perplexed with the same anxiety when he prayed to be blotted out of the book of life, lest the holy and elect race of Abraham should be reduced to nothing the apostle therefore assigns other and still higher reasons besides the feelings of humanity which ought to make him attached to the jews because the lord had so exalted them as it were by the enjoyment of a certain prerogative that they were separated from the common state of mankind the high praises with which he extols their dignity are proofs of his love for we generally use only such kind expressions when we are speaking of those to whom we are attached and although their ingratitude rendered them unworthy of esteem on account of the divine gifts which they enjoyed yet paul continues to reverence them for this cause and thus conveys to us a useful lesson that the wicked cannot so spoil and corrupt the good endowments bestowed by infinite perfection as not always to be justly entitled to praise and honour even when the abusers of these blessings derive nothing else from them but greater disgrace and as we ought not to despise the divine gifts enjoyed by the wicked from a hatred to their persons so on the contrary we ought to use great prudence in our conduct towards them lest they be puffed up by the kindness of our esteem and the manner in which we speak of their excellences we ought to be still more cautious not to suffer our praises to have the appearance of flattery let us imitate the conduct of paul who while he allows the jews to enjoy their own dignity and honours afterwards declares all things to be nothing without christ he has sufficient reason for praising them because they were israelites for jacob prayed for it as the greatest blessing to his posterity that his name should be named on them genesis forty eight sixteen to whom pertaineth the adoption for the scope of all the observations made by Paul is to show that notwithstanding the Jews had by their revolt impiously divorced themselves from God, yet the light of divine grace was not wholly extinguished among them, as Paul, Romans 3.3 3 says, shall their unbelief and breach of covenant make the faith of God without effect. Not only because the Lord always preserved for himself some seed as a remnant from the whole multitude of the Jews, but the name of the church yet remained among them by an hereditary right. And although the Israelites had now so stripped themselves of all these honors that no profit accrued to them from being called the sons of Abraham, yet because the Gentiles were in danger of undervaluing the majesty of the gospel in consequence of the fault of the Jews, Paul does not consider what they deserved, but conceals their dishonor and baseness under the cover of many veils, that the Gentiles may be fully persuaded that the gospel had flowed to them from a heavenly fountain, from the temple of God, and from an elect nation for the lord had passed by all other nations selected them as his peculiar people and adopted them for his sons as moses and the other prophets frequently testify nor is jehovah content to call them simply his sons but he sometimes names them his firstborn and his pleasant ones thus the lord says israel is my firstborn son let my son go that he may serve me exodus four twenty two i am a father to israel and ephraim is my firstborn jeremiah thirty one nine Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 31.20 By these expressions he is not only desirous to commend his indulgence to Israel, but particularly to prove the power of adoption under which the promise of the heavenly inheritance is contained. Glory means the excellence conferred upon that nation by the Lord above all other people, which he effected by many other means and also by dwelling in the midst of them for besides many signs of his presence he manifested a singular proof of it in the ark from whence he returned answers and heard his people that he might exert his power in affording them assistance on this account it is termed one samuel four twenty two the glory of god the following distinction may be observed between the covenants and the promises the covenant is conceived in a certain number of express and solemn words and implies a mutual obligation for example the covenant made with abraham but the promises are interspersed in various parts of the scriptures for when god had once entered into covenant with his ancient people he did not cease to offer them his grace by giving occasionally new promises and it hence follows that the promises are referred to the covenant as their only source and in the same manner the peculiar assistance afforded by god to believers and by which the almighty manifests his favour towards his own sons flows from the alone fountain of election and since the law is nothing else but the renewal of the covenant for the purpose of confirming in a better manner its remembrance the giving of the law ought in this passage to be restricted to the commands of god for it is no common honour conferred on the jewish people to have the supreme being their lawgiver for if other nations boast of their Solons and their Lycurguses, how much better founded subject and matter for glorying have the Israelites in claiming the Lord as their legislator. And ask from the one side of heaven unto the other whether there hath been any such thing as this great thing is, or hath been heard like it. Deuteronomy four thirty two the worship means the ceremonies and rites of the jewish ritual prescribing the proper manner of worshipping god for those only ought to be considered lawful which are appointed by a divine rule and every invention of man besides this is the mere profaning of religion whose are the fathers for it is of much importance to be descended from holy men beloved of the most high since god has promised pious parents that he will show their sons mercy even to a thousand generations and he does this particularly and in express words to abraham isaac jacob genesis seventeen four and in other passages nor is it of any moment that pious ancestry when separated from the fear of the lord and holiness of life is of itself vain and unprofitable for the very same takes place in the worship and glory of the god of truth and love as various passages in the prophets prove but particularly the following isaiah one eleven sixty one jeremiah seven four but since god condescends to bestow a certain degree of honor on pious progenitors paul has very properly reckoned this among the prerogatives of the jewish people for they are on that account denominated heirs of the promises because they had been linearly descended from the patriarchs acts three of whom christ came etc there is no foundation for referring christ's descent to the patriarchs as if paul confined it to them for his object was to close the high praise and eulogy bestowed upon the excellence of the jewish people by tracing the descent of the messiah from the israelites for it is no small or trifling honor to be united by carnal descent with the redeemer of the world since if christ honored the whole human race by uniting himself with us by becoming a partaker of our nature he bestowed a still greater glory on the jews with whom he resolved to form the close bond of alliance and affinity this favor of relationship we must always remember when separated from true piety so far from being of use turns rather to the greater condemnation of those who enjoy such a privilege this passage is remarkable as affording a clear proof that the two natures are so distinguished in the messiah as to be united at the same time in the very person of the saviour of sinners for paul tracing christ's descent from the jews declares his real humanity the additional sentence according to the flesh denotes that christ jesus possessed something more exalted than the flesh and a clear distinction is here made between his human and divine nature Paul finally unites both these natures when he says that Christ himself, who was born of the Jews according to the flesh, was, over all, God blessed forever. This commendation of our Redeemer, we must carefully observe, pertains only to the one eternal God. For in another passage the Apostle says, there is one God, to whom honor and glory are due, 1 Timothy 1.17 commentators who separate this member of the sentence from the rest of the context with a view to deprive christ of so clear and excellent a proof of his divinity endeavour with so unblushing effrontery to darken the blaze of light and the fullness of its power what can be more plain evident and undoubted than this passage christ of the jews according to the flesh who is god eternal blessed And I entertain no doubt that Paul, who experienced a difficulty in contending with the stumbling-block urged concerning the Jews, had purposely raised his mind to the everlasting glory of Christ, not so much on his own private account alone, as to supply others with courage from his own example to rise superior to this scandal against the cross. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, For they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Not as though because paul had in the fervor of his wish and prayer been hurried off into a state of ecstasy he now corrects his former observations as if desirous to resume the office of teaching and to recover himself from the immoderate grief and anguish he had experienced paul embraces this opportunity for preventing the absurdity of the covenant of god which was entered into with abraham being abolished and this consequence appeared to result from the destruction of the jewish people deplored by the apostles since the divine favor could not be withdrawn from the israelites without destroying the covenant entered into with that nation he shows how the grace of god would constantly remain among the jewish people in whatever darkness they might be sunk so that the truth of the covenant would be unshaken i prefer the common reading not as though since the other it is impossible is to be found in no manuscript and the following is the sense of the passage i do not deplore the destruction of the jewish nation because i consider the promise of god formerly given to abraham to be now abrogated and disannulled for they are not all etc the proposition of the apostle is that the promise was given in such a manner to abraham and his seed that the inheritance has no particular regard to every one of his descendants and it hence follows as a consequence that the revolt of certain individuals from the lord who derive their birth from the father of the faithful has no effect in preventing the stability permanence and steadfastness of the divine covenant two points deserve our consideration if we are desirous to know on what terms the lord has adopted the posterity of abraham as his peculiar people the first is that the promise of salvation granted to the friend of god extends to all his lineal descendants because it is offered to all without exception in this way they are justly termed the heirs and successors of the covenant entered into with abraham or to adopt the language of scripture are the sons of the promise for when the lord determined that the zeal of his covenant should be bestowed on ishmael and esau as well as isaac and jacob he afforded a clear proof of his not being entirely estranged from the former These supporters of an opposite opinion must regard circumcision which was communicated to them by the command of God as of no avail or importance, and none can maintain this sentiment without casting reproach and contempt on Jehovah. The Apostle declared that the covenants belonged to the Israelites, though they were sunk in all the darkness of unbelief. They are denominated by Peter, the children of the covenants, Acts 3.25, because they were the sons of the prophets. The second point, considered by the Apostle, is that the appellation Sons of the Promise is properly bestowed on the partakers of its power, virtue, and efficacy. In this sense, Paul here asserts that all the sons of Abraham are not the sons of God, although the Lord had entered into covenant with them, because a few only continued firm in the faith of the covenant. Still, however, the Father of Lights himself testifies, Ezekiel 16, 63 that he established with the Jews an everlasting covenant where in fine the whole people of the jews are termed the inheritance and peculiar treasure of god their election by the lord is meant who offers them the promise of salvation and confirms it by the sign and symbol of circumcision but since many of the jews reject the divine adoption from their ingratitude and by no means on this account enjoy its benefit another distinction between them necessarily exists arising from a regard to the fulfilment of the promise to prevent any of his readers from being astonished at not observing the promise fulfilled in a great many jews paul asserts that they are not comprehended in the real election of god in other words the common election of the israelitish nation does not prevent the sovereign of infinite goodness from choosing for himself according to his secret counsel whatever portion of that people he has determined to save god's condescension in entering into a covenant of life with one nation exhibits a striking and distinguished mirror of gratuitous mercy but his concealed favor in that peculiar election which is restricted only to a part of the israelites exhibits a still more marked proof of gratuitous pity and clemency to his people when paul says they are not all israel which are of israel neither because they are the seed of abraham are they all children he includes all the descendants of the father of believers under one member of the sentence and points out by the other those only who are true and genuine sons of the friend of god and not a degenerate race but in isaac shall thy seed be called the design of paul is to show that the secret election of god although presiding over the external calling is yet by no means opposed to it but tends to its confirmation and completion the apostle therefore assumes in proving both these truths that the election of god is not confined to the carnal descendants of abraham nor is this contained in the condition of the covenant he adduces a very appropriate example in confirmation of this position, for if there was any part of the genuine posterity of Abraham which ought not to fail in obtaining the covenant, the oldest of his family ought chiefly to have enjoyed this great privilege. When, however, we see in the two first sons of the patriarch, the younger chosen by a recent promise, Genesis 21.12, Hebrews 11.18, while the older was yet living, how much more might this take place in a long line of descendants? This prediction is taken from Genesis 17:20, where the Lord answers Abraham, As for Ishmael, I have heard thy prayers, but the promised blessing shall be granted to the son of Sarah, and the covenant established with Isaac. It hence follows, as a consequence, that certain individuals are, by a singular privilege, chosen from the elect people of the Jews, in whom the common adoption is ratified and rendered efficacious. That is, the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God paul now deduces from the prophecy a proposition containing his whole meaning intent and aim for if the seed is called in isaac not in ishmael and this latter is no less a son of the patriarch abraham than the former all his children by lineal descent cannot be reckoned as his seed but the promise is in an especial and peculiar manner fulfilled by some but has not a common and equal regard to all children by lineal descent mean such as are not distinguished by a more excellent privilege than their being offspring by blood. The children of the promise are those who are peculiarly marked out and sealed by their Heavenly Father. For this is the word of the promise. The manner in which Paul applies this other prophecy clearly proves his skill and diligence in handling the word of truth. When the Lord said, Genesis 18.10, I will certainly return unto thee, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son, he intimated that this blessing yet remained to be conferred by giving him another son, for Ishmael was then born on whom the covenant was not bestowed. Paul, we may here observe, uses great caution, lest he should exasperate the Jews. On this account, he merely points out the fact and conceals the cause, but the source and fountain will be disclosed on another occasion. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And not only, some sentences are cut off in this chapter. For in the following verse, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one even by our father Isaac, the apostle leaves off in the middle and omits entirely the principal verb. The meaning is, this difference with respect to the inheritance of the promise was not clearly discerned in the sons of Abraham, but a much more striking proof of it was given in Jacob and Esau. Some might object to the unequal condition of Ishmael, who was the son of a handmaid, but esau and jacob were twins and of the same mother yet the first is rejected and the last chosen of the lord so that the promise is not equally fulfilled to all the sons of the flesh i consider a masculine pronoun to be understood and not a neuter as erasmus for paul has respect to those persons to whom god testified his counsel for the special election was not only manifested to abraham but afterwards also to rebecca while she had twins in her womb when the children being not yet born paul now begins to point out the reason of this difference and places it in god's election he had hitherto merely observed in a few words the difference between the carnal sons of abraham namely though all by circumcision were made partakers of the covenant yet the grace of god was not equally efficacious in all and the sons of the promise enjoy the blessings of the most high he before had either passed over in utter silence the cause of this occurrence or had certainly made a very obscure allusion to it. He now plainly refers the whole cause to the gratuitous election of God, which in no respect depends on men, so that nothing can be traced in the salvation of the pious higher than the goodness of God, nothing in the destruction of the reprobate can be discovered higher than the just severity of the sovereign of the world. The first proposition of the Apostle is the following as the blessing of the covenant separates the nation of the israelites from all other people so the election of god separates the men of that nation while he predestinates some to salvation others to eternal damnation the second proposition that there is no other foundation of election than the mere goodness and mercy of god which embraces whom he chooses without paying the least regard to works even after the fall of adam Third. THE LORD IN HIS GRATUITOUS ELECTION IS FREE AND UNRESTRAINED BY THE NECESSITY OF BESTOWING THE SAME GRACE EQUALLY ON ALL, NAY, HE RATHER PASSES BY SUCH AS HE WILL AND CHOOSES FOR HIS OWN ACCORDING TO HIS WILL. PAUL BRIEFLY COMPREHENDS ALL THESE PROPOSITIONS IN ONE clause, AND WILL AFTERWARDS CONSIDER OTHER POINTS. THE FOLLOWING WORDS, WHEN THEY WERE NOT YET BORN, NEITHER HAD DONE ANY GOOD OR EVIL, SHOWS THAT GOD, IN MAKING THE DIFFERENCE BETWEEN THEM, COULD HAVE PAID NO REGARD TO THEIR WORKS WHICH DID NOT YET EXIST sophists who state that god may elect from among mankind by a respect to their works since he foresees from their future conduct who may be worthy or undeserving of grace do not enjoy a greater share of perspicuity than paul but attack a principle of theology which no christian ought to be ignorant of namely that god can regard nothing in the corrupt nature of man such as that of jacob and esau was by which he may be induced to do them a kindness when therefore paul says that neither of the children had done any good or evil we must add also the opinion which he had already formed in his mind of their both being children of adam sinners by nature not possessed of a single particle of righteousness i do not dwell so long in explaining this passage from any difficulty or uncertainty in understanding the mind of the apostle but from a desire to show that paul was not unacquainted with the arguments adduced by the sophists who, not satisfied with his simple statement, endeavor to support their opinion of election depending on foreseen works, by vain and frivolous distinctions, while they are very indistinctly and imperfectly acquainted with the very first principles of faith. Besides, although the vicious and depraved nature, which is diffused through the whole human race, be of itself sufficient to cause damnation before it has shown its unholiness by any act or deed, and Esau therefore deserved to be rejected because he was by nature a child of wrath, yet to prevent the least difficulty as if the state of the elder was worse with respect to the perpetration of any offence or vice than that of the younger it was necessary for the apostle to exclude the consideration both of transgressions and of virtues the curse of all in adam it must be granted is a near cause of reprobation but paul withdraws us in the meantime from this consideration that we may learn to rest in the naked and simple good pleasure of god until he shall have established this doctrine the infinite sovereign has a sufficiently just cause for election and reprobation in his own will that the purpose according to election paul urges in almost every word the gratuitous election of god for had he considered works to have any place in our election he would have stated the remuneration due to their performance he opposes to works the purpose of god which consists in the good pleasure of his will and to remove all doubt and controversy concerning the subject he adds according to election and closes in a striking manner not of works but of him that calleth we will now more carefully weigh the force of the whole passage by considering the context if the purpose of god according to election is established because esau is rejected and jacob chosen before their birth or their designing to do any good or evil to attribute the cause of difference manifested in the treatment of these brothers to their works would completely subvert the purpose of the god of infinite wisdom the apostle is desirous to exclude all consideration of works by subjoining the sentence not of works but of him that calleth for he means that the counsel of the sovereign of the world is determined not from a consideration of works but of the call alone the whole firmness therefore and stability of our election are comprehended in the alone purpose of jehovah merits are of no avail in this case for they terminate only in death There is no dignity in the creature on which the deity can look, and the kindness of our infinite Father, and that alone, reigns in the choice of his own people. The opinion, therefore, that God elects or reprobates every one according as God foresees the good or bad will be worthy or undeserving of his grace, is false, and contrary to the word of eternal truth. The older shall serve the younger. Lo, how God makes a distinction between the children of Isaac, when they were yet lying in their mother's womb the divine promise was made to the younger since he was to be obeyed by the elder and god thus manifested a peculiar favor to the former which he refused to bestow on the latter although this promise had respect to the birthright yet god declared his will in it as a type of something greater this is evident when we consider how little advantage according to the flesh jacob derived from his primogeniture on account of this he is exposed to very imminent danger compelled for the purpose of escaping from it to leave his father's house and his native country and experiences most inhuman treatment during his banishment on his return trembling with fear and uncertain of his life he bowed himself down at his brother's feet and with earnest entreaties supplicated his forgiveness esau pardoned his offence and granted him a continuance of more years where shall we look for jacob's dominion over his brother from whom he is compelled to sue with importunate request for his life the Lord, therefore, had promised him something greater than his birthright. As it is written, Jacob have I loved. Paul confirms by a still stronger testimony how much the promise made to Rebekah relates to the present subject, since the spiritual condition of Jacob is witnessed by his dominion, and that of Esau by his slavery. Jacob also obtained this favor by the kindness of the Lord without any merit of his own this testimony of the prophet shows the reason why jehovah bestowed the birthright on jacob the passage is taken from the first chapter of malachi where the lord declares his great kindness to the jews before he reproaches them on account of their ingratitude you have i loved says the god of jacob and he immediately adds the beginning of his love was not jacob esau's brother what right or claim had your father the patriarch from whom you are descended for being preferred to his brother their right was equal, except that the younger ought by the law of nature to have been subject to the older. Yet I chose Jacob and rejected Esau, induced by my mercy alone, without any regard to the dignity of his works. And now I had adopted you for my people, that I might still continue to show the same kindness towards the seed of Jacob. But I had cast off the Edomites, descended from Esau, you are therefore worse than the Edomites, since you cannot be induced to worship me, the God of hosts, from the remembrance of so great kindness. The prophet indeed enumerates the earthly blessings which God had bestowed on the Israelites, but they cannot be understood in any other sense than as symbols of his goodness. Where the wrath of God is, death immediately follows. Where his love is manifested, life is the necessary consequence. End of section thirteen.